Welcome to Cornerstone Reformed Baptist Church. Thank you for using and sharing our resources. What you're about to hear is God's Word from one of our teaching elders. We trust that God's Word will inspire, instruct, and bless you. For further teachings or information on our ministry, please visit us on our website at cornerstonerbc.com. That's cornerstonerbc.com. Corinthians chapter 3 from verse 4 all the way to chapter 4 verse 6. This is the word of God. And we have such trust through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our, suf- our sufficiency is from God, who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, not of the latter, but of the spirit For the latter kills, but the Spirit gives life. But if the ministry of death written and engraved on stones was glorious so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, which glory was passing away, how will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? For if the ministry of condemnation had glory, the ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory. For even what was made glorious had no glory in this respect because of the glory that excels. For if what is passing away was glorious, what remains is much more glorious. Therefore, since we have such hope, we use great boldness of speech. Unlike Moses, who put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not look sadly at the end of what was passing away. But their minds were blinded. For until this day, the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament because the veil is taken away in Christ. But even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil lies on their heart. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all... With unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Therefore, since we have this ministry, chapter 4, verse 1, Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commanding ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus, the Lord, and ourselves, your bond servants, for Jesus' sake. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. As I told you before, I want to speak to you why we must behold the glory of Christ. Because that's the foundation of all things. Christ is the foundation of all things, and His glory exceeds and goes far beyond anything that can ever imagine. Within all creation, may it be physical or spiritual, the glory of Christ exceeds infinitely above. Think of the sun in its full brightness and its strength and light. And yet, if you compare the sun with a glimpse of the glory of Christ, the sun looks like a thick darkness because of the glory that exceeds. Think about the most beautiful view that you have ever seen in your life. Maybe nature, a place that you have visited, that was pleasing to your eyes. But yet, if you compare with a glimpse of the glory of Christ, it looks like it's a swim in darkness as well, because of the glory that exceeds. So think about the old covenant, as Paul would tell about us. What a glorious thing that was, if we see in verse 8 to 11, Uh, From verse 9, for if the ministry of condemnation had glory, the ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory. For even what was made glorious had no glory in this respect because of the glory that excels. For if if what is passing away was glorious, what remains is much more glorious. 
Think of the old covenant for a moment. I will not expound much in that, but let's think for a moment. When God chose a nation and a people to be a token of his providence and his care and his power and his might among all the nations. A people that would care the oracles of God, that would care the law of God, that would bring this forth among all the nations. And that would be a witness of the power of God and the care of God to those who are not seeking him. God is the one who chose that nation. God is the one who chose the Jews and the Hebrews to be a token of the power of God and of the care and the majesty of God. Come with me as we think when Moses came and the children of Israel before of Mount Sinai and the Lord displayed his glory when he came down from heaven on the top of that mountain with fire and smoke and thunder and lightning and thick clouds. The glory of God manifested there. The children of Israel, afraid as they were seeing the glory of God and the power of God displayed in them. But just come with me and be there with Moses when he saw the glory of God passing through and he asked the Lord to show him his glory. And he saw the back of God. And let's come with him. And let's go down the mountain when he came before the children of Israel. And his face was shining in glory. Because he was with the Lord. And he saw the glory of God passing through. And he had to put a veil over his face. What a glory that old covenant was when we think about it. Let's come to the temple and to the Holy of Holies and think about the Ark of the Covenant, the very presence of God with the people of Israel. But all those things, shadows and types of what was to come. Because the substance is Christ. All those things were pointing to the one that would come. And that's why Paul would tell us, if what is passing away, the law was there to be a tutor to the people of Israel, to bring them to Christ. What is passing away, there was a purpose for that, but to point them to the one who would come. What is passing away was glorious. And what glory that was. What remains is much more glorious. And what remains is Christ. He's much more glorious. And that glory does not pass away because he's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He's the eternal God. He's God in flesh who came to deliver us from our sins, to rescue us from ourselves, and to save us from the wrath to come that we justly deserve from a holy, thrice holy God. So the glory of Christ exceeds and excels everything that we can ever imagine. Who is like unto you, O Lord? Who is like our God? But I want to give you, brothers, sisters, and friends, three reasons this afternoon for why we must behold the glory of Christ. And I believe that this is the foundation, those three reasons. The first one, because Christ is the revelation of God. The foundation of all things. Christ is the revelation of God. That's the first reason. The second one, the second reason is that it's necessary for salvation sanctification, glorification, and that eternal state of glory in the presence of God. The beholding of the glory of Christ is necessary for salvation, sanctification, glorification, and that eternal state of glory in the presence of God. And the third reason that I want to give you, because this is the greatest blessing of all. Of all. all the blessings of God, all the promises of God are yes and amen in Jesus Christ, because He is the blessing. And this is the greatest blessing of all. Nothing compares to it. And all comes from it. From beholding the one who saved us. And who gave himself for us. So as we think about it. Let's think about Christ. As the one who is the revelation of God. Brothers, sisters, friends. Heaven and the heaven of heavens cannot contain God. He's the one who created all things. Who is above time. Is space and matter. He's the I am who I am. He's not bound by time, by past, present, and future. In fact, he's the one who created it. We think and we have a thought process because we think in time, this happened today, tomorrow, this happened last week, this happening now, but it's not with God. He's above time. He's the I am who I am. That's why he expressed to Moses when Moses asked the Lord, Lord, if I go and tell your people, who shall I say to them that send me? Tell them the I am who I am. If we try to say that in the next time, in the time that we finish the sentence, we have already changed in many ways. But God is the only one who can say, I am who I am, because he does not change. We sing the song, there is no shadow of turning. There is no turning of shadow in God. He remains the same. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. There is no change in God, and yet nothing can contain him. As I said, God created all things. He's above creation. He created time in the beginning, time. 
God created time. He created the heavens, space, and the earth, matter. He created all things for His glory and for the edification of the church. He created that out of pure grace. But nothing can contain our God. There's nothing that ex can express or can expound the glory of God as who God is. In its fullness, in its strength, in its completeness, nothing. If we think of creation, nothing. Not in, nothing in the spiritual or the physical realm. But Christ does that. Mightily and powerfully. Think of Colossians chapter 2 verse 9. For in Him, in Christ, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. All the fullness of the Godhead. I think the ESV will say the whole fullness of the deity dwells in Christ's bodily. Everything that should be known of God. And I mean everything. And remember that to know God is eternal life. There is no way in the knowledge of God because it's eternal life. The one who is eternal, who is above time. But everything that can be known of God, if we can say that, everything that can be known of God is found and is found in living the Lord Jesus Christ. There is nothing left out. Nothing. Everything is expressed in Christ mightily and powerfully. Everything was expressed in Christ before time began is expressed in the Lord Jesus Christ and when he came and he became flesh and will be expressed in that glorious day. In that glorious day, we say we have in Revelation chapter 21, verse 23, that God is the light of that place and, and the lamp, the lamp, the one who shines that light because he's the light of God. As we think about it, Christ is the one who expressed fully and complete who God is. He's the revelation of God. And that's the first point that I want to make to you. That's why we must behold the glory of God in Christ because He is the revelation of God. We see in verse 4 and verse 6, the second point that we read in chapter 4, that He's the image of God, the exact imprint of the date. He's the image of God. We see that the glory of God is revealed in the face of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, verse 6. And if we think of Colossians chapter 2, and I think that Paul could have said that way, and would be enough. For in Christ, the fullness of the Godhead dwells one. That would be enough. But remember the instance when the Lord Jesus Christ comes and says, Verily, verily, I say to you, He wanted to bring a point, and He wanted everyone to pay attention. Verily, verily. Look what I want to say. Important. Pay attention. I think that's the spirit in this verse. Because Paul does not say by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, In Christ dwells the fullness of the Godhead. But he uses all and fullness in the same sentence. He wants to express the reality that in Christ, everything that should be found is found in Christ. He uses all and fullness to make us pay attention, look and listen to what I'm about to say. In him dwell all the fullness of the Godhead. Everything that should be known of God is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. And if that's the case, and that is the case, that everything is found in Christ, that, God, that Christ is the revelation of God, and everything that can be known of God is expressed mightily and powerfully in its, in its completeness. In the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the God-man, if that's true, we must find the attributes of God in the Lord Jesus Christ. Attributes that belong to God alone must be found in the Lord Jesus Christ because He is the God-man. And as we think about it, we will not be able at all to, to express the, all the attributes of God because they are, they are vast and go beyond measure. But I just want to point to you a few attributes of God and let's find those attributes in the Lord Jesus Christ that we can find in no other but in Him. Let's think about the one who is the all-knowing. God is the one who knows all things and He's the one who sees all things. For Samuel chapter 16, verse 7, remember when Samuel came to anoint the king, the, the one who would be king of Israel. He went to the house of Jesse, and then he saw one of his sons, Eliab, and then he thought, surely this is the one. This is the, the king of Israel. What the Lord says to, to Samuel, the Lord does not see as man sees. Because man sees the outward appearance, but the Lord sees the heart. And I want to just stop for a moment. Uh, kids and those who are here who do not know Christ yet, do you know that Christ knows the thoughts of your heart, the intentions of your heart, that nothing can be hidden of God? And brothers and sisters, may the Lord help us to understand this, because it is a fearful thing that we are naked before the one who created us. Kids, if you think about it, the thoughts that you have that would be ashamed to bring before your parents and to tell them, 
or the things that you do that would be ashamed to bring before them because of the ugliness and the evilness of those acts. Do you know that God sees it? And He's the one who will judge you in righteousness. And He's the one who, who, if He condemns you, will do that in a just way. He's the one who will come on that day and He will judge you. He knows your thoughts. He knows your actions. Brothers, sisters, the Lord knows all things. Nothing can be hidden from Him. And let, let the Lord help us. May the Lord help us to, to keep short accounts with God. And to come before Him in repentance and faith that we have an advocate in heaven, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ who paid for our sins and who died in our place. But as we think of the one who is the all-knowing, which is God, he's the one who is able to see the intentions of the heart. We just see the outward appearance. You don't know what is in my heart, what is in my mind. I don't know what is in yours. We just know what comes out of the mouth. But yet the Lord sees within. He's the only one who does that. Is that expressed in Christ? If we go to John chapter 2, and if you want to turn with me to John chapter 2, Let's just read the instance from verse 23. Now when he was in Jerusalem, John chapter 2 verse 23. Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs which he did. But Jesus did not commit himself to them. Why? Because he knew all men. Not in the way that we know men, but in the way that God knows. Luke verse 25. And had no need that anyone should testify of men, for, for he knew what was in men. The Lord Jesus Christ is the one who knows all things and who sees all things, who goes beyond the knowledge that we have because he's the God-man. Not just men, but the God-man. He's the revelation of God, the all-knowing. Let's think about another attribute of God. He's the one who is the all-powerful, isn't he? If you go to Psalm 89, verse 9, you rule the raging of the sea. You don't have to open that. Well, just read Psalm 89, 9. You rule the raging of the sea. When its waves rise, you still them. Who has power over creation? Who can say to the seas to stop or to the winds to stop their mighty who can do that but the one who created them? We have no power. And parents, you may know, I don't know yet. I'm not a parent. I hope, Lord, willing one day. But you know, it's hard to tell your kids to stop. Imagine to tell the ocean or to tell the wind to stop. They're mighty. Who can do that? But the one who created all things. That's the expression of the psalmist. He's the one who can stop the raging of the sea and calms its way. Is that found in Christ? If we go to Mark chapter 4, and I think you know what I want to point you to. Mark chapter 4. Verse 35 to 41. Mark chapter 4, verse 35 to 41. Remember, God is the one who can command the nature to do His will, and nature has to obey. And if we think about it, how we are sinful. Lord, the Lord commands us to do things and we do not obey in our sinful nature. We're dead in sin and trespasses, brothers and sisters. You know where we were before the Lord saved you. And you know as a Christian, the times that you fail and that you sin. May the Lord help us to obey Him and obey His voice. And He comes and tells us what to do. But let's go to Mark chapter 4, verse 35. On the same day, when evening had come, He said to them, the Lord Jesus Christ said to them, to the disciples, let's cross over to the other side. Now when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was. And other little boats were also with him. Verse 37. And a great windstorm arose. And the waves beat in the boat so that it was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on a pillow, the sovereign of all things. And they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. But he said to them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? 
Pay attention to this. And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, Who can this be? That even the wind and the sea obey him. He's the God man. The revelation and the power of God displayed mighty and powerfully in Christ. But let's go to another place. Remember when our Lord Jesus Christ was to be arrested? And a number of people came to arrest him and he asked them, Who are you seeking? And they said, Oh, Jesus of Nazareth. It is I. I am he. What happened? They draw back and fell to the ground. Who has power to throw a multitude down to the ground by the word that he says? Is the one who carried that power. God himself. The power of God displayed in the Lord Jesus Christ. But let's go deeper because I believe and I submit that to you brothers and sisters and those who are here as well friends. I submit that to you that the greatest, the greatest display of the power of God, the greatest that has ever been and will ever be, is this one that I will share with you now. If we think of one verse, Naum chapter 1 verse 6, who can stand before his indignation? And who can endure the fierceness of his anger? You who is still without Christ, who is still following the thoughts of your hearts, who is still creating a God according to your own image, according to your own likeness, listen, who can endure? Who can stand before his indignation? And who can endure the fierceness of his anger? It's coming a day in which the Lord will judge the world in righteousness. And he has given assurance of, of that by raising the Lord Jesus Christ from the dead. And the Lord will come and he'll judge the world in righteousness. And think about it. If you go to hell and to the lake of fire because God is just and righteous. And you rejected the way that he made, which is Christ. The way that he brought, which is Christ. Do you understand that an eternity in hell, in the lake of fire, will not appease for your sins? Will not appease the wrath of God? Will not stop the wrath of God? You may be there a trillion, a zillion of years, and you will not even start paying for your sins. An eternity in hell will not be enough to appease a thrice holy God. Who can stand before his indignation? And who can endure the fierceness of his anger? But look the display of the power of God. The Lord Jesus Christ. He went to that cross. Bearing the sins of his people. He lived a perfect life. He obeyed the Father in all things. Perfect in all his ways. The one who was well pleasing to the Father. And who is well pleasing to the Father. The one in whom the Father delights. The righteousness himself. He went to that cross bearing our sins, brothers and sisters. And took upon himself what you deserve. The wrath of God. He drank the cup in full. Everything that was there, he drank in full. There was nothing left out. He drank it fully and complete. Who can stand before his indignation? And who can endure the fierceness of his anger? Who can receive the wrath of God and leave? The God-man. The Lord Jesus Christ. He took upon himself our sins. He went to that cross. And he was punished. Because we deserve the punishment. But he was pushed. The one who knew no sin became sin. So that in him we may become the righteousness of God. The one who is holy. No deceit was found in his mouth. Who always spoke truth. Always had Pure thoughts. This is the one who can stand before indignation of God. And this is the one who can endure the fierceness of his anger. He died and he rose on the third day. And he seated high with the majesty at the right hand of the Father. Ruling over everything and everyone. And he's the one, beloved brother and sister, who is coming again. And he fulfilled that promise that he made to his disciples and to you. And he's, he's making a place for you and he will come again so that where he is, you may be with him also. But yet, for you who are not in Christ yet, if you die in your sins, he will come in righteousness and in judgment. Think about it. We see in the book of Revelation that we have people crying out to the mountains to fall upon them because they don't want to deal with the wrath of the Lamb. Second point, 
It is necessary for salvation, sanctification, glorification, and that eternal state of glory in the presence of God. The beholding of the glory of Christ, or of the glory of God in the face of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, is necessary for salvation, sanctification, glorification, and that eternal state uh, of glory in the presence of God. And as we think about it, brothers and sisters, let's go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Because I want to point you to two verses over there. And look how Paul will make a distinction for those who, who are not in Christ and for those who are in Christ. What is happening for those who are not in Christ? Why? They still blind. Chapter 4, verse 3 and 4 first. Chapter 4, verse 3. For even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. For those who do not yet see the truth, we still dead in their sin and trespasses. Verse 4. Whose mind whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. They cannot behold the glory of Christ. And you could not behold the glory of Christ, brother and sister, could you? Remember when you were without Christ, following your own thoughts and the desires of your own heart? You are not seeking after God. That's the testimony of Scripture. There is no one good, no not one. There is no one who seeks after God. You were in that place. But look, verse six. It is the God, for it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. How does salvation happen? Remember that the Lord opened the hearts of Lydia to hear the words that Paul would say is when the Lord grants to someone eyes to see the beauty of Christ. It's when the Lord opens your eyes and, and brothers and sisters, just stop for a moment and remember the season or the time in which the Lord saved you. Maybe remember the day and the exact moment that the Lord came powerfully and might, mightily upon you and opened your eyes to see your need for the Savior. Maybe it's a season. The time in which everything started to become new. And we started to behold the glory of Christ. The one whom you rejected. Now you see him in his light, in his power, in his mighty, in his beauty. Isaiah chapter 53, 53 says that he had no beauty that we should look at him. But yeah, he has beauty. We do not look at his beauty because of who we are. He came in the likeness of men. But yet he revealed, even though in the likeness of men, he revealed God. And we are only able to see His beauty and His glory when God opens our eyes to see that. It's a work of God. Salvation belongs to the Lord. But what is the process of salvation? The beholding of the glory of Christ. It's when we see who God is in Christ that we are able to see who we are. And that we are able to understand our desperate need for the Lord Jesus Christ. It's only when we see who God is in Christ that we can understand who we are and our desperate need for the Lord Jesus Christ. Look to me, all the ends of the earth, and be saved. That's the testimony of the scripture. So as I speak about these things, kids, children, and those who are here who do not know Christ yet, may the Lord open your eyes to see the beauty of Christ and make you realize who you are indeed and your desperate need for the Savior. Remember with Isaiah chapter 6, he saw the one who is holy, holy, holy. The king seated on his throne. What happened when he saw the majesty of God? When he saw the holiness of God in the cherubims and seraphims? When he saw that and they singing, holy, holy, holy. What happened to Isaiah? I'm undone. I'm finished. I've seen the Lord, the king of glory. I've seen the one who is holy, 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 and I'm an evil man with evil lips. And I, and I live among people with evil lips as well. Who am I? It's only by beholding the glory of God that you can understand who you are indeed. You cannot comprehend that. If you think that you are a good person, and if we think that we are a good person, we're in a bad position. We haven't yet seen the glory of Christ indeed. Remember what happened with Peter. Luke chapter 5. One to eight, when the Lord Jesus Christ told him to cast the net, to get the fish, 
And then the fish came. What Peter said to him, Lord, depart from me. I am a sinner. He, he saw the display of the power of God in the Lord Jesus Christ. The God man before him. Lord, depart from me. He saw the glory of Christ. The glory of God in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the only thing that he would say, depart from me, Lord. I am a sinner. Can you understand that God is the one that you should run from? But who can deliver you from his hands? As you think about it, I want you to stop that. Because the one that you should run from is the one that you should run to. Kids, remember, when you're in trouble, who do you go to? To the one who is greater than your trouble. To the one who can solve your problem. You go to your parents. You always go to the one who is above your problem to solve it. But who can deliver you from the hands of an angry and holy God? It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Who is greater than God? Is more powerful than God. The one that you should run from is the one that you should run to because he's the only one who can deliver you from your sins and fall from his wrath. So run to him, run to Christ because there is forgiveness of sins in the Lord Jesus Christ. God made a way. The one that you should run from, Peter said, Lord, depart from me, I'm a sinner, is the one that you should run to because Peter is the same one who said to the Lord Jesus Christ in John chapter 6, when the Lord Jesus Christ said to them, do you want to go with them? When he was speaking about the sovereignty of God and bringing forth the great uh, things of the sovereignty of God, that the Father is the one who draws us to Christ. And at the end of that sermon that the Lord Jesus Christ was giving, many said, look, it's a hard saying what you're saying to us. Who can, who can bear it? And many start to leave the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Lord Jesus Christ asked his disciples, do you want to go with them? What Peter said, the, man, the same who said, Lord, depart from me for I am a sinner. He said this, for to whom shall we go? To whom shall we go, Lord? Oh, you have the words of eternal life. God is the one who has your life in his hands. And he's righteous and just to punish you and to punish me for all our sins throughout all eternity. But the one that we should run from is the one that we should run to. Look to Christ, because God provided a way. He made a way in which sinners may be saved, which the Lord Jesus Christ should be saved and will be saved, those whom he chose before the foundation of the world, because the blood of Christ was not shed in vain. And he will save those whom he chose because of his great love towards them. Look to Christ. Run to him, the God-man. It's necessary as well for sanctification. And brothers and sisters, I want to address you this afternoon in this topic. But it will be good for you who do not know Christ yet to hear this. Because it's all about Him. The starting of your race as a Christian was by beholding the glory of Christ. The keeping of that race or the continuing of that race is by beholding the glory of Christ. There is nothing different. The end of that race happens as you behold the glory of Christ. There's no difference. And that eternal state of glory happens as you behold the glory of Christ. Remember when Paul wrote, writing to the Galatians, said, you start in this spirit. You're walking out according to the ways of the flesh. Brothers, sisters, you start in this spirit. Let's finish the race in this spirit. And what is the meaning of that starting and finishing in this spirit? The Lord Jesus Christ told us, the work of the Holy Spirit. When he was saying about the comforter, he said, look, he will come and he will bear witness of me. It should point us to Christ, the work of the Holy Spirit. It should bear witness of Christ. From the beginning of your race to the end of your race, it should bear witness of the one who loved you and who saved you and who gave himself for you. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. The call for the Christian is to be holy because our God is holy. That's the call. And to grow in holiness, to grow in sanctification, to grow in that, I submit to you that it is the same as to grow in the likeness of Christ. To be holier is the same as to be more like Christ. As you grow in sanctification, you grow in the likeness of Christ. It is the same thing. So it's only by beholding the glory of Christ that we can overcome sin. 
And let's go to chapter 3, verse 18 of 2 Corinthians. Because Paul will bring this reality by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Verse 18, chapter 3. But we all, with unveiled face, behold as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. So it just happened as you behold the glory of the Lord in the face of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. How can we overcome sin? It's not by your own power. You're only the one who is powerful overall to grant you the strength that you need. If by this day spirit you mortify the deeds of the flesh, Paul will tell us in Romans chapter 8, it's a work of the spirit as he points us to Christ. And as the Lord grants us strength through his spirit, as we behold the glory of Christ, that's the only way. Therefore, there is now no condemnation to those who are in the Lord Jesus Christ who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And I remind you one more time that the, 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 Spirit, the work of the Spirit is to bear witness of Christ, is to make us look to Christ and to behold the glory of Christ. And as we do that by the power of God, we are being transformed into His image. That's the argument of Paul here in verse 8. But brothers, there are practical ways in which we do that. The Lord has went as a means of grace. But it's done only by His heart and His might. And I hope to bring that, if the Lord allows me in another time, but to bring that. But I just want to mention, I think it will be of benefit for, for you brothers and sisters. It's only by beholding the glory of God, of Christ. Let's think about the practical ways. How, how can we do that? First of all, understanding that it's not by your own strength. It's the Lord who grants us that. He gives grace to the humble. So may the Lord help us to understand that it's only by His grace that He's the one who does the work that we cannot do. That's the foundation of all things. It is God working us both to will and to do of His will pleasure. Remember that Paul tells us, exercise your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is of God, both to you and to do of His good pleasure. It belongs to Him. You don't have strength, I don't have strength. We need God and let us rely on Him and come to Him and ask Him. Because He's the one who can get us the power. The second practical thing, brothers and sisters, it's by faith. The natural man cannot comprehend the things of God. It's not by our, my intellect, your own intellect, putting the dots together and the words together in the right place, in the right sequence, but it's by the power of God opening your eyes to see the spiritual things the natural man cannot comprehend. It's great, it's great and it's given by the Spirit of God and it's by faith because we see those things that the physical eyes do not see now. We see the substance and the reality of those things that we cannot perceive with our physical eyes now. It will come a day in which we will see Him as He is. But now we see by the eyes of faith. And how does God impart faith? The third practical way. It's by His Word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing from the Word of God. The beholding of the glory of Christ is by faith. It's a work of God. It's by faith and it's through the Word of God. Because that's how God imparts faith to the believer. And that's how God grants faith to the one who is not saved. And that's how God increased the faith of believer because there is an increasing of faith. Oh, you of little faith, so therefore there is an increasing in the faith of the believer and it happens through the word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing from the word of God. But not just by hearing, by being doers of the word, by practicing the word. There are realities that can only be achieved as we walk in our Christian life according to the word of God. And I think that's the expression of the author of Hebrews chapter 5. There were many things that could have been said about Christ as coming according to the order of Melchizedek. Remember? And what the, the author said, but you're still babes, you're still in need of milk. There are much more to be said. There are more things that, that we could have said about this so that you may behold the glory of Christ more, but you're still babes, you're still in need of milk. But solid food belongs to those who by reason of use are able to discern good and evil. So, not just by hearing, but by being doers of the word of God, by the strength that the Lord grants us, that we can behold the glory of Christ more and more. It's by prayer. Because the only thing that we can do is sin. That we can do and we do well. But those things that are impossible to us, it's by the power of God. You cannot save yourself, you need God. You cannot behold the glory of Christ, you need God. 
You cannot grow in sanctification by your own. You need God. So what is prayer? To come before God and also ask Him those things that we need. We cannot produce that in and of ourselves. And may the Lord help, help us to come before Him and ask Him, Lord, grant us to see more of your glory in the face of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And please, Lord, do that. Help us to see more of Christ and less of us to the point that we will disappear and that He will increase, increase, increase more and more and more and more without end. But also, it's in the context of the local church. And I believe, I think it's Paul praying to the Ephesians, the prayer that he made to God on behalf of the Ephesians, when he says that you may know with all the saints the depth and the height and the length and the breadth of the love of God, of the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, goes beyond knowledge. There are levels, heights, depths, breadth that we can only achieve in the knowledge of Christ within the local church with brothers and sisters in Christ. So those are the practical ways. But let's go to another point. It's necessary for salvation, sanctification, but also for glorification. You know that your glorification will happen as you behold the glory of Christ. That's how it will happen. Let's come with me to 1 John chapter 3. Brethren, now we see with the eyes of faith. 1 John chapter 3 and we read verse 1 and 2. And as I said, the beginning of your race and the end of it, it's all by beholding the glory of Christ. 1 John chapter 3 verse 1 and 2. Now we see Christ by the eyes of faith, the one who we do not see but yet we love him. It's by the eyes of faith that you see Christ. But brothers, sisters, it's coming a day in which you see him as he is. Now what you see by faith, you see by sight. The Lord will come to take his people in, will see him as he is. In his glory, behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us. That we should be called children of God. We who were his enemies, we should be called children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Verse 2, brother, sister. Beloved, now we are children of God. And it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is glorification we shall see the Lord as he is now we see darkly in a mirror but it will come a day we'll see him now remains faith hope and love and the greatest of all is love but on that day faith will give place to sight and the substance of your faith will be before your eyes and you'll see him as he is glorification will happen by beholding the glory of Christ. And that eternal state of glory in the presence of God. And all is said and done. When we are with God forever in eternity. We'll be in the light of Christ. In the beholding of the glory of Christ. Let's go to Revelation chapter 21. Verse 23. Revelation 21, verse 23 and verse 24. I read in the New King James Version. It may be different, but the truth is there. Maybe a different uh, translation. The city had no need of the sun or of the moon to shine in it. For the glory of God illuminated it. The lamp is its light. I think that yesterday we said that the lamp is its lamp. It's the one who shines the light of God. The light of God will be displayed in Christ. And in that state, without anything to interrupt us or to hide our sight from seeing the glory of Christ. Now we have seen, we have the world, we have temptation. But on that day, all those things will be done away and will behold the glory of Christ in a perfect way. Nothing to hide us from seeing His glory. Sin will be no more. Pain will be no more. 
Death will be no more. And we'll behold him. The light of God displaying the one who is the lamp of that place. The Lord Jesus Christ. Who is the light of that place. Shining the glory of God. And the, and the beholding of the glory of Christ. And the glory of Christ is what will give you strength. It's what will sustain that place is the glory of God. Luke verse 24. And the nations of those who are saved, how they shall walk. How they shall walk in that place in its light. In the beholding of the glory of Christ. Brothers and sisters, you started the race by the grace of God. You were saved by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You started your race as the Lord granted you to behold the glory of Christ. Please remain in your race and may the Lord help us to remain in the race beholding to his glory, beholding his glory. Because it's all about him. Sanctification. The nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light. He will be the strength and the power of that place. He will sustain that place with his light and his mighty, with his glory being displayed powerfully and mightily without any interruption. And we'll see him as he is day in and day out and behold his glory and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And I believe that in that place we'll still grow in the grace and knowledge because to know God is eternal life that will achieve that place. We'll see him and we'll be as he is, but we'll keep growing as well as we behold and as we know more of God in Christ in that place without any interruption. Third point. So remember, why you must behold the glory of Christ is the revelation of God. It's necessary for salvation, sanctification, glorification, and that eternal state of glory. Because it, it is the greatest blessing of all. Nothing compared to it. Brother, sister, you have tasted, you tasted and seen that the Lord. <coughs> what can compare with that? That we who are blind. And then in our sin and trespasses, enemies of God doing everything according to our own flesh. The one whom we should serve, we hated. Raising our fist against him. The one who gives us the sun and the sunlight and the rain and the moon in his providence, in his care. Who does all those things for his creation. That he would come. That he would make himself a man. That the one who was in the form of God did not take it wrong to be equal with God. He came and he humbled himself. He took flesh to be like us. He went to that cross bearing the wrath of God. He was obedient to the point of death. And of death of the cross. What can compare with this blessing? That the one who should send us to hell in his righteousness and to the lake of fire in his fury and anger and indignation against sin and against sinners. That the one who should do that, that he would provide a way. That the one and another attribute of God displayed might in Christ. That I haven't mentioned. That the one who is the high and lofty one. The scripture says that God is the high and lofty one and he inhabits with a contrite of heart. That the one who is high and lofty one. Who have no need of you and no need of me. Who is sufficient in himself. That he decided to create, he decided to create everything. According to his good pleasure. That he would save us. That he would be our exceedingly great reward. That God would send his son to be a propitiation for our sins. Not for ours only, but the sins of the whole world. That he would do that. Nothing compares to it. He is indeed our great exceedingly reward. Christ. And as we think about it, I want to read something to you. And may the Lord help us to behold the glory of Christ. Look, dear brother, dear sister, and dear soul. 
the glory of the King of kings and Lord of lords. He's the great I am. Before Abraham was, he's. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him nothing was made that was made. Dear brethren and dear soul, behold his glory. This word became flesh and dwelt among us. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Behold his glory, dear brethren and dear soul. As the man of sorrows, who borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, behold his glory as he is lifted up, for the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Behold his glory as he is wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities, because the chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. Behold his glory as he, is, as he is oppressed and afflicted without opening his mouth as a sheep before its shears is silent as a lamb led to the slaughter. Behold his glory as he says, it is finished and bows his head giving up his spirit. Therefore behold his glory, the glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Keep looking, dear brethren and dear soul here with us. And behold his glory as you come with Peter and John to the tomb and sees the linen cloths lying there and a handkerchief that had been around his head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded together in a place by itself. Christ is risen from the dead. He's risen indeed. He was declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Please keep looking and behold his glory as he's taken up into heaven to go to the Father. Behold his glory as he comes into the gates of heaven and listen to these beautiful words. Lift up your heads, O your gates, and be lifted up your everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. The Lord is strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle, the Lord of hosts. Behold his glory. As he comes to the ancient of days, as he's brought near before him and receives from him an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and glory and a kingdom which shall not be destroyed, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. Dear brethren, behold his glory in the hope and in faith that will come a day, and this day is coming. It is coming because he told us that he will come. In which we shall see him as he is. And behold his glory throughout all eternity. Let's pray.